Bible reading can be found on page 1002 of the Pew Bibles. It is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, commencing to read at verse 14. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their, Zebedee, their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's tempting to set aside the sermon and just have an extended interview with Mike uh, this morning. But Mark is the task on hand, so let's pray before we turn to his gospel. 
Lord, we thank you for the amazing story of Jesus' life and his ministry and the way in which people's lives were completely turned upside down when they encountered him. And Lord, as we encounter him this morning, may we each encounter him, whether it's for the first time or just encountering him afresh, may our lives be changed and prepare us for the coming week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Kate and I enjoy uh, holiday reading. We're going on holiday soon and we're getting our books together. And I have to say, I make rather hasty judgments about the holiday reading sort of book. I I like to be captivated quickly. And I uh, decide by the end of the, if not the first page, by the second page, whether this book is is, is really going to get me or not. My, I said this to a teacher at a school where I worked the other day, and it was a classics teacher, and she said that's like mental bubblegum, very disparagingly. Well, Mark is certainly not bubblegum literature, but he certainly knows how to grab our attention quickly. Here we are in verse 14, and so far Jesus has been introduced, baptized, and tempted in the desert. The pace is fast. And the word that's translated immediately in various places or at once or straight away, Mark uses over 40 times just in this gospel and 11 times just in the first chapter. So it's good news and it's good news with a sense of, a sense of urgency. Uh, verse one, he announces that this is going to be good news about Jesus. Verse 11, he says, Jesus proclaimed good news about God. And then he, in the first words that Jesus is speaking, he said, Jesus proclaimed, uh, Jesus invites his hearers to repent and believe the good news. So it's good news and there is a sense of urgency about Jesus' mission. So having finished the prologue in verse 13, which Paul dealt with last week, he then introduces the theme which will carry on now through the gospel in the coming weeks. And it's a theme that sums up Jesus' ministry and the rest of the gospel, the kingdom of God. So verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news about God. Then, then these are the first words spoken by Jesus in Mark, the time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what do these statements mean? The time has come. What is the kingdom of God? In what sense was it or is it near? And why the need for repentance? So it it seems, as this is going to be a theme, it seems appropriate this morning just to pause on this for a while and remind ourselves what this is all about and, what, and, and also what his listeners would have understood by it, because that's crucially important as we go through Jesus' ministry. Perhaps the first thing to say is that the Jews, as we know, had this great sense of living within a grand and unique story. And I think although all of us have that sense of living within a story, we have our story and we have our aspirations for the future, I think it's difficult for us to identify 
the sense in which this community had such a sense of destiny and history. Christians' uh, children were brought up with this story, the story of how Creator God uh, called out Abraham to be these special people. And of course, the story goes on through the Old Testament and the, the promise that He gave Abraham that his descendants would be blessed and would be special. The story of their captivity in Egypt and God's miraculous deliverance. These were stories not just told in the community and in the family, but relived in celebrations like the Passover. Relived within the home, relived within the community. And this is so important because it, there is this sense of being part of something that was big and unique and grand on a big scale. I've spoken about uh, my preferences for holiday reading, and one of the things about my holiday reading is I like a book with a good con conclusive ending. It's got to be, uh, the, the problem, the crime has got to be solved, and the person who, the culprit has got to get his comeuppance. It's got to be absolutely clear. And when we read through the Old Testament, we have that sense of anticipation, and yet ultimately you have a feeling of it's a story in search of an ending. And we get to the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, saying that essentially something else is to happen. We're not there yet. And it ends actually by looking forward. The Lord will return to His temple. So we end the, the Old Testament with that unfinished business. So now we're in Jesus' time, several centuries later. And scholars tell us that within all the diverse Jewish movements and writings that existed in these intervening centuries after the end of the Old Testament, one unifying theme is the sense that they were still living within that narrative and living with the hope that this story was going to reach a climax. That climax was coming, the kingdom of God would come, their enemies would be crushed, and that God's presence, God's glory would return to the temple. Now, for some, this belief, as Paul said last week, was that this would be brought about by a messianic figure, the Christ. Some certainly, and there's such a diversity of, of, or there was such a diversity of belief, but there is this unifying theme. But of course, God's people were continually ruled after their return from exile by pagan nations, Persia, Greece, Egypt, Syria, and then, of course, when we get to this point in history, by Rome. So, for two or three centuries preceding Jesus, this dream is continually dashed under the weight, under the might of empire. Now, some, like the zealots in Jesus' time and, and the subgroup of the Pharisees later to which Paul belonged, uh, sanctioned violence to try to bring this about. So there was a great diversity of, of understanding, but a unifying theme within it all of anticipation and hope that the kingdom of God 
would come. In fact, the regular synagogue liturgy in Jesus' time concluded with these words. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel, speedy and soon. You can capture it in that, can't you? That sense of hope, anticipation of destiny. And for example, later in Mark's gospel, you remember that uh, Mark tells us of Joseph of Arimathea, who was the man who took Jesus' uh, body and, and laid it in the tomb. Mark says he was looking for the kingdom of God. That's how he describes him. Similarly, in Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke tells us, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So these were terms that were, you can sense they were in daily use. They were part of their psyche. And such people drew on many Old Testament passages to keep that hope alive. And in particular, I suppose they always returned to the Exodus. God rescued us when we were slaves in Egypt. He rescued us miraculously. We want God to do that again, but this time decisively and once and for all. That was the hope. So when Jesus walked into Capernaum in Galilee, he was speaking to a people who were praying for the kingdom of God to come. That's where they were coming from. So Jesus' message was not spoken into a vacuum. And to proclaim the kingdom of God is near was loaded language. But then they wanted to hear of God acting to get rid of the Romans decisively once and for all, vindicating God's people and restoring Israel to the place of dominance and preeminence among the nations. That was their hope. That was their anticipation. That's essentially what they were praying for. So Mark's opening words in Jesus' ministry are that the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Now, we easily lose sight of this. And in fact, it's easy, and sometimes you would almost get the impression that Jesus' ministry was a sort of, he came as a kind of timeless savior who could have come at any point in history. Just so happened it was first century, first century Palestine. But no, Mark said, Jesus said to a people who were praying for the kingdom of God to come, the time has come. Israel's God, Israel's God is on the move. It's happening. It's bursting upon you. But of course, as we shall discover in the weeks ahead, as we go through the gospel, that the nature of this kingdom, the nature of power, was going to be very different from what they'd anticipated. So why the great gulf between their expectations and the message of Jesus? Were they not simply keeping alive an authentic Old Testament faith? Why was Jesus' message not in absolute continuity? Why was there any conflict, any misunderstanding? 
God's people throughout their history repeatedly forgot, so much of the Old Testament is about this, that their chosenness, their sense of being different, of being special, of being called out, was not to rescue them from the Gentile world, but to the, be the means of bringing the Gentile world to the one true God. So just picking out one or two examples. So in Genesis, Abraham's descendants were called out to be a special people, but to be a blessing to the nations in order that all nations of the world would be blessed through you. Exodus, God gives the, these people the law, and he calls them to be a nation of priests, a nation that mediates God to the nations. And of course, so much of the theme of the prophets, uh, it has that sort of theme underlying it, Israel, to be a light to the Gentiles in Isaiah. The Psalm, many of the Psalms reminded them that the God of, of the universe is Israel's God, but not in an exclusive sense. But their continued failure to obey God meant that the very people who bore the promises of God became part of the problem themselves. Their prayer was to restore Israel to a place of prominence and preeminence rather than it being a channel of blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles. Hence, Jesus' call to repent. Repent and believe the good news. If they were to get in on the action, they had to change direction. There had to be a complete rethink to turn back to God. Jesus urges them to turn back to God and to be the light to the Gentiles that they were meant to be. And of course, that was the call too that uh, John was uttering. And, and Jesus' baptism, in a sense, is identifying, Jesus is identifying with that call to repentance. So their expectation of what the kingdom of God would look like, of course, explains the, the cryptic nature of Jesus' ministry. If he really told them explicitly what God was doing there and then, it would have been so explosive that his ministry would have been terminated before it even got started. And of course, as he journeyed toward Jerusalem later in his ministry, we see that secrecy becoming almost of no significance. So when he healed the 10 lepers, you remember as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he tells them to go and tell the priests. There's no need for secrecy at that point. So having announced that the kingdom is near, Jesus' ministry commences in this passage today, and we begin to see what God's rule looks like. And in our passage, the sick get healed, demons are cast out, crowds are amazed and perplexed, and He spoke with authority. These people were, were, were used to, to scribes uh, and priests who would constantly say, Abraham said, David said, Moses said. Jesus speaks with His own authority and His own quiet authority, 
and healed body and mind with that same authority. And over the next few weeks, too, we'll discover that this kingdom involved a redefinition of power, the power of love. And crucially, he was doing in his ministry that's just started in our reading today, things that embodied God becoming king. This is what God's sovereign rule looks like. The, people, the, the vulnerable people are, are uh, healed and not ignored. So what he was doing in his life, his teachings, his healing, was to show in the lives of real people at a real point in time, in a real place, what it is like and what an anticipation of God's new creation would look like. There is a danger that we think of the early chapters of the Gospels as a preamble before the main event. What really matters, and I, uh, don't misunderstand me, I'll come back to this, what really matters is the cross and crucifixion and all this is just a kind of build up to the big event. It's much more than that. The fact that Jesus died for my sins is of the utmost importance. But when I go into my place of work tomorrow morning and I pray, Lord, your kingdom come in this place today and this week, I need some understanding of what that looks like. And that's where I find it. This is where I find it. And I need to hear James, the response that Jesus give to James and John later in Mark when they completely got it wrong and they argued about who was going to be the most important in God's kingdom, who was going to sit on the right hand or the left hand side. It's easily been critical of them. And Jesus said, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. So we need this in order to understand what it means to work this all out following Jesus in practice. I love the fact that all of this took place in Galilee. <laughs> Jesus commenced his ministry as an unknown northerner in the hum from the humblest of backgrounds, from Nazareth where most people for their south three days journey away they either didn't hardly, they hardly knew it existed or despised it. And even his name was common. Jesus was not an uncommon name. His human credentials are nil. The PR people would have despaired. Then we have his choice of helpers. Reason tells us that he should choose the elite, the people who are prominent in society the religious political leaders. He took ordinary people, mentored them, taught them, empowered them, and charged them with going into the world to share this good news. Ordinary people, ordinary families, people running small businesses. This week as I've been thinking about this, one phrase that has just stood out for me, and it's this very simple one that when Mark describes that Jesus 
went into Galilee, he proclaimed good news about God. That just absolutely struck me this week, that the good news of Jesus is ultimately good news about God. God being faithful to his promises, God blessing the nations, God saying, I haven't given up on creation and this world. I have purposes for it. God bringing the restoration of his creation. The kingdom of God is near is essentially a statement primarily about God. God in control. God working out his purposes. And this is not a new spirituality. It's not good advice. It was an announcement that the living God is on the move. And he's doing something remarkable. And what he's doing demands a response. In the end, of course, we can only pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes, the end of the story is of absolute importance. Jesus' healing ministry demonstrated what God's saving rule would look like, but that saving rule could only be brought about by the sacrifice of his own life. When he defeated the powers of darkness, the powers of evil, after which he declared all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we'll, we'll discover in the coming weeks that we individually have to work out what that means in practice, in our families, in our place of work, in our community, in our church, in our national life. But it starts with me on a personal level. We cannot separate kingdom and cross. We cannot embark on Jesus' kingdom ministry without the cross. I cannot stand on, cannot embark on Jesus' ministry until I have stood before the cross and admitted he did it for me. And then respond to the same invitation that he gave to Andrew and Simon, come follow me. That's the starting point. And this involves repentance. It involves a change of direction, it involves a new master. And responding to that call, come follow me, may lead us on a very, very different career path. It may lead us into persecution, it may lead us into hardship. It may, dare I say, lead us into very different aspirations for our retirement. Mark tells us that at once, that's one of his at once phrases, they left their nets and followed him. If the kingdom has come, there is a job to do, and there is an urgency about the task, and that's exactly what Mike is calling us to do in these days.
There is an urgency in this message in, in telling people about Jesus. But you know, as we follow the daily news, and especially at the moment, it's so easy, isn't it, to regard the defining stories of our time as to which party will get in power, by how much majority, whether there will be a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit, the implications of fake news and uh, the whole concept of post-truth, about powers, superpowers and rogue states flexing their muscles. It's so easy to say this is, this is the grand, this is the big story. And however important, however important it is to engage with these things, and these things are important, Mike, Mark reminds us that we're participating in a grander story. What we're participating in this morning is so much greater. And the destiny of all of this in the book of Revelation, John hears the voices in heaven in his vision in Revelation, and this is what they're saying. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. That's their destiny. But what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will cry out and say is, and it's already begun. It started. So we don't know when we embark on this journey how the journey may take us. We just don't know. We want to know sometimes. But our ultimate destiny is that we're participating along the way in God's, build, God's rule, God's kingdom. And the end of that journey is our Lord reigning forever and ever. This is an amazing story, an amazing history in which we're participating. And we so easily lose sight of it, don't we? Bigger issues than Brexit. <laughs> but ultimately the question is, have I really got in on this yet? Have I actually stood before the cross to commence this journey and admitted, Jesus, you did it for me? And have I truly responded to Jesus' calling and embarked on this amazing journey of following Jesus. He will never, ever let us down. This is good news about Jesus that we sing about every week and hear about and read about, but it's also good news about God, and it demands our response.